I even see the dog. That's how fucked up I am. I look at a German Shepherd. I see our goddamn podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Admin Band New and Selected, a podcast about the events of September 11th, 2001. Um, jet fuel can't melt steel beams. My name is Lucien Wadaly, and I'm joined by my co-host, Shane Kelly, uh, my uh, college dentist, dentist college roommate, long estranged... Uh, spotted on a e-scooter mm-hmm. uh, going down uh, 11th Avenue late at night. The second airplane to your first airplane. The second airplane to my first airplane. The second dead child to my first dead child. The uh, kitchen to my... Uh, other kitchen. Other kitchen. Um, yeah, it's it's Shane. Hey, Shane. Howdy. Um, rain Over Me, um, the 2007 motion picture written and directed by Mike Binder. Uh, starring Adam Sandler and Don Cheadle, probably the most depressing film I've ever watched. Top five, easily. Top three. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, but Cause, cause I there's like nothing to it to give any bit of hope. It's so downbeat. Incredibly. It doesn't seem to think, it doesn't seem to realize how downbeat it no, is. No, it thinks... It thinks that it's upbeat. It's this inspirational story of a man recovering, yes. getting through his grief. It's not. It's not. It's about a guy who would, in many ways, be better off dead. The film yeah, that was kind of the main way. conclusion I took from it. Yeah. This guy's life is so lacking in hope that there's really no, no way out. I mean, you know, I, I try to be an optimistic person. I try to be... You know, in favor of everybody having a second chance at hope and happiness, but there's nothing in this film to suggest that this man it, it has any has any real joy coming down coming down the, the runway towards him. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. we'll jump into the plot. So I described this film last night to my housemate, who had never heard of it. Obviously, you hadn't either. Mm-hmm. I described the plot in about thirty seconds, and he was like staggered as to how depressing the setup of this film is. Um. So Don Cheadle plays a dentist and he runs into his old college roommate played by Adam Sandler, Mm -hmm. who is a guy whose wife and kids died in a a plane in 9-11. And he has basically retreated into himself and plays video games, scoots around, spends the life insurance money on kind of keeping up a relatively comfortable lifestyle, but is just incredibly unhappy has like little random outbursts and uh not a happy guy not a happy guy and the film no. never sees him really come back from that it's not it's not a good it's not a good no. time it's no not a good time huh where, so, where do we start where do we start um so there are a couple of interesting elements to this that are completely at odds with the central conceit so there is a horrible bosses type dentist sexual harassment mm-hmm. storyline that goes on for the first like 50% of the film between Don Cheadle and one of his patients played by Saffron Burroughs. Um, she is basically propositioning him and he is resisting it and he banishes her from his dental surgery and then she starts making like false accusations against him. Yeah, she files a lawsuit saying that he harassed her. Yeah. So, she, so they have to let her come back as a patient. So he can talk to her. So he can, like, try and, like, deal with it civil way. An incredibly oversimplistic way of dealing with these things. It's just so ridiculous. Okay, this woman has made a false claim. Yeah. And now what you're going to do... Oh, you're going to invite her back to the office to have a chat and sort everything out. And that kind of... The power, the power dynamic within the dental clinic makes no sense to me because he is basically doing whatever Jonathan Banks says at the start of the movie. Like, Jonathan Banks invites him into his office and seems to be the head of the practice and is like, mm-hmm. we have a problem with this woman, and does his Jonathan Banks thing where he's like, here's it, we're going to fix the problem. Yeah. And you're like, are you going to tell him to, like, bury the body and do this and that? And Jonathan Banks is like, uh, you, uh, you got to invite her back in, blah, 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 blah. And then, at the end of the film, Don Cheadle marches into Jonathan Banks' office and says, stop your shit, I started this clinic, you all work for me. And I was like, wait, what? They all work for him? He was not behaving that way at the start of the film. It seemed like Jonathan Banks was running the place. But you can see the parallel between that relationship and his relationship with his wife. Sure. The wife, truly one of the worst depictions of a wife in any film we've covered on this podcast. Like, such a unsympathetic, nagging stereotype. Of a of a middle aged man's wife, yeah, 
doesn't ever say anything particularly nice or caring to the guy. She admits that at the end. I guess so. But like, even when his mother dies, he kind of just makes it into a blame thing about why yeah, he like, wasn't why weren't you phone. answering your phone? Yeah, not. Nah, I'm so sorry. I mean, maybe she says the words "I'm so sorry," <laughs> but it seems like she's more angry at him than she is feeling sorry for him. Um, anyway. I think I kind of think every character is incredibly poorly written. In this every character is poorly every written. character is bad. Who's the best written character in the film? Is B- it B.J. Novak? B.J. Novak, I would say probably the yeah, probably. absolutely diabolical character. So bad, one of so the worst characters I've ever seen. I've ever seen. So, so B- evil. B.J. Novak plays the lawyer who ends up trying to get Adam Sandler like what forcibly institutionalized. institutionalized. Yeah. he's working for Adam Sandler's uh, dead wife's uh, parents, and he is like doing his maximum B.J. Novak slimy act. And it's, like, kind of hard to figure out why he's being so evil to the extent that for a few minutes you're like, oh, is is BJ Novak, like, representative of how the, the world and America sees this man? And then Donald Sutherland, like, pulls him into his office. Uh, Donald Sutherland, randomly overqualified playing the judge in this for five minutes, pulls him into his office and is like, shut your mouth. You're you're going way over the line. And I was like, oh, so the film... The film thinks B.J. Novak is, like, uniquely horrible. He's not just yeah. a symbol of how the system is treating this guy. Or Which is makes he? it seem kind of unnecessary. So unnecessary. How do they find the one lawyer in New York who was going to be this evil to this man? And the, par- the parents-in-law hired him. And they're pretty fucking weird, too. They're going along with it. It's, they're encouraging. It's an unusual depiction of a New York system that seems to have zero compassion for like a victim of 9-11 and is treating him like the problem. Like realistically, I think a guy whose family died in 9-11 would be treated with a lot more fucking respect than BJ Novak forcing him to look at pictures of his dead children and having a panic attack in a courtroom. Like this, the, the situations in the, the main, my main issue I have with this film, every situation in this film is like the most tragic, miserable version of the situation that they could conceive of. Yeah. And they, like, they turn the misery up to 11 in every scene to the point where you're just like, oh, come on, it wouldn't be this upsetting. But they're, like, draining the melodrama out of every moment, whether it's him bringing a gun out on the street and getting arrested, or whether it's him freaking out in the courtroom, screaming while they show him pictures of his dead kids. I don't know, is there just a lot of uh, faith in institutions that like oh all he needs is to be put into a psychiatric ward for a year and they'll fix him that that's what the parents think yeah yeah why is it their business i, I mean don't i don't know like, i mean i guess the problems only start when he pulls the gun right no because they're chasing him down constantly they're chasing him down uh one-to-one but they're not sending the police after him no or any institution is it a money thing because he has a lot of money I don't think they ever suggest it's a money thing in the film. I think no. it's mostly suggested that they are desperate to have him acknowledge his gra- his children. That he doesn't, he won't talk about his wife no. and children. That's that's the trigger for all this freakouts. And Somebody asks him, him like, to, uh, "How are your kids like?" And but he like, just... mind your business. Let the man deal with his grief in a weird, <laughs> passive way if he needs to. Like, I I don't see how the parents have any right to force this man to to deal with his grief in one particular way. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, anyway, it's probably just like escalated over time. Where like, oh, they wanted to just get him a shrink first. Yeah, now it's weird to get so nasty. nasty. There's no it reason. It's so it. nasty. It makes no sense. I'm gonna run through. I don't know. I'm trying to think about the best way to talk about this deranged <laughs> film. I'm gonna run through the characters in it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Don Cheadle is Doctor Alan Johnson. So he's a dentist. Not a lot of films about dentists, considering the main examples of dentist movies I can think of are really horrible bosses, and I don't think Adam Sandler has ever played a dentist. It's been a plastic surgeon. Yeah. Never a dentist. Really? Dentistry is kind of boring to depict in films. Really, the the, the most yeah, exciting I... thing you can do with a dentist, well, the, obviously the best dentist in any film is the goy's teeth scene in a serious matter. Oh, yes, of course. But, like, the only thing you can really do with a dentist is a sexual harassment storyline. Like, there's nothing else going on there. They're just looking at teeth. That's not very cinematic. True. But anyway... He plays a dentist, and he... Yeah, yeah. Den- dentists are kind of mocked as being boring in general in yes, the media. Yes, they are. And Don Cheadle is very boring in this film. Don Cheadle is a boring... I, I like Don Cheadle, but he, he plays boring guys very well. Yeah. Um. This is mad from This is his... I mean, I, I, I can't imagine how much worse the film would be if he was played by somebody else. Because I like Don Cheadle. Now, if this was Jamie Foxx, this would not be watchable. No, not at all. Not at all. Like, Don Cheadle is 
just about making this film watchable by force of fucking nature. Like he's just good at kind of being that pathetic guy. That pathetic guy. If you did this with Jamie Fox, I would have. I would Don Cheadle has sad eyes. He has sad eyes. My favorite Don Cheadle moment in this film is when Don Cheadle is looking through a Marvel comic featuring his character from the Marvel movies, oh, yes. and he refers to it by a homophobic slur that I will not repeat. Um, the outfit of the well, he's sorry. It's not. It's not. It's not. Uh, War Machine. It's it's the Falcon, who obviously is played by Anthony Mackie in those movies. But he sees the Falcon in um in a comic, and he goes, "There's a black guy in this. Look at how he's dressed. Pretty." Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, he's the dentist, and he is uh he is trapped in a in a in a very controlling marriage with his wife, who just nags, 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 and won't let him do anything he wants. So a, re- a really realistic depiction of a complex, nuanced female character mm-hmm. played by Jada Pinkett Smith. They go to bed at 10.30. They go to bed at 10.30. They do jigsaws. Adam Sandler, rightfully in this film, one of the only things in this film he says that I can relate to, he makes fun of Don Cheadle for going to bed at 10.30, yeah. uh, which I sympathize with. Um, then we have Adam Sandler as Charlie Feynman, who is also a qualified dentist. When did he last practice dentistry? I know. I assume he just quit after nine eleven. He quit after nine eleven, but he has all this money from his his life insurance of his of his family. So he basically uh, scoots around New York. He looks like Bob Dylan for some reason. I he, sorry. I think the hair is the worst. It's the hair so just bad. Destroys any sort of illusion in this film. It's completely laughable. He's his whole look is ridiculous. If if he just looked like he normally looks, I think this film would be slightly more okay. I will. Take I think it'd be significantly more depressing. I agree with you, but here's what I think: the two moments in the film that I found the most moving mm-hmm. were when they briefly showed flashes of him looking the way he normally looks in the past. Yeah, they worked for me because I suddenly was like, "Oh, this is like what Adam Sandler looks like when he's broken," in a way that I feel like I, that's not his real hair. That worked. No, he's wearing a wig in this movie. Yeah. 100%. But they show... So there's a moment where he, walk, why, he walks into the kitchen or something. Yeah, he's having, there's like a brief yeah, he's flash having like flashes of... Of, his, of him and his kids and he's got his normal hair. Mm-hmm. And then at the end they show a photo in the court of him and his kids or whatever mm-hmm. with, with, with normal hair. And when you show Sandler looking normally and you're like, oh shit. And, and I don't know. For me, the juxtaposition of how he looks in this with how he normally looks was quite affecting. And I was like, oh Jesus, yeah. Like this guy looks like Adam Sandler fucked up. Um, but it's not fucked up. It's stupid. I know it is stupid. Of course, it's stupid. It's, uh, the film would be better if he had his normal hair. Not if without he had his normal dad. hair. What if they like just didn't look like Bob Dylan? If he looked like he did in the collar. Yeah, well, he has his normal hair in the collar. Uh, sure, but it's the only up. thing he looks only, like shit. In the the only thing he doesn't have his normal hair in, apart from this, is Zohan. Yeah. Now Zohan's an interesting comparison for this for a number of reasons. <laughs> number one, Zohan is the only other Adam Sandler film that kind of directly deals with the aftermath of nine eleven. I guess. Like yeah. Zohan is a post nine eleven, like post Iraq War comedy and then the other thing is that Zohan is like the only other movie that he brandishes a gun in <clears throat> maybe okay sorry the do-over he holds a gun on the poster because he's playing like a CIA guy yeah and airheads maybe he has a gun in airheads I think they're fake guns which is also yeah, the whole plot is that fake guns. that's the other movie where he plays a guy who plays the drums yes uh, but I think that that otherwise this is like the only one where he's got weird hair and he Kind of has weird hair and airheads, but he has weird hair and he and he whole and he has a gun and like the scene where he has the gun is like there's stuff in this film where you're like, I am kind of affected by the tragedy of this only because this is Adam Sandler who I have such a deep rooted relationship with as a lighthearted performer doing this upsetting. I think the stuff. most affecting scenes in this are the ones where you just kind of watch him and he has no dialogue. Yes. But the script is so bad. It's terrible. And the performance is bad. Yeah. So I think the only reason that anything about the character works is just, is his appearance. oh, it's a guy that we like. But it's just it's just the casting. It's just, oh, this is this guy we like. <laughs> but I think the casting also makes it worse. The casting makes it worse. It kind of... I'm trying to think of what this film would be like if you cast, like, the obvious choice to play this character, which is, I guess, I don't know, Greg Kinnear... Uh, who who plays like sad sack? It's Steve Carell, right? The Steve Carell version of this. So like, I compared this performance a little bit to Steve Carell in Last Flag Flying, where he plays a guy whose like, mm. son died in the war, and he's just like, 
I'm sad. And Steve Carell does that. Like, does this film only work if you kind of cast a comedy guy? Steve Carell is an interesting one because he is a comedy guy, but he always plays these roles, right? Or like Robin Williams used to play these roles. Like sad, sad sacks, right? And like the film does work with one of them, but I think it's like probably less grating to see them in those parts because they do more films like that. Like I think if Sandler's not in this, you turn it off halfway through. Absolutely. It's, it's a horrible, awful film. The only reason to ever, ever watch it, ever, is because Adam Sandler's in it. Yeah. If this film existed and Adam Sandler wasn't in it, it would exist even less than it does now. And it exists very little. There is no one we know who's ever heard of this. You didn't even know that it was about 9-11 until yesterday. Which I kept from you on purpose, but yeah. you didn't know anything about it. No, this. I think I did. Uh, maybe I did. Maybe, know maybe I did. You mentioned it. Anyway, mm-hmm. it is a bit, at least it's something different. In terms of... In terms of what we talk about, it's different. Yeah. But I don't think that the film has any value in itself for being different. Because the year... No, but at least it gave me something mm. different to look at. Sure. I guess. I had to we're, view it through a different lens, be, given yes, that it's well, not we're the... going to be analyzing... We're analyzing his performance on different criteria, which we normally do. Yeah. Or even to what we would in an Uncut Gems type thing. So I think that has merit in terms of, like keeping it interesting like it's an interesting dud in his career and to the extent that he never did this again really Mm. he's never done another pathetic sad sack drama thank fucking god the closest he's got is the cobbler maybe no this is very cobbler men women and children he's not really doing the emotive stuff in that he's just a dad is this him but like is this him trying to close enough recapture the punch drunk love kind of i guess so it's the first series oh, spanglish is also kind of similar Sp- spanglish is so bad that i don't want to talk about it on the podcast because okay. it's a fucking snooze and it's almost two and a half hours long but spanglish is a very sentimental film about like being nice to immigrants and people who don't speak english very well mm. and he plays a guy in that who's a, a bit similar i think that this kind of is in the spanglish territory of him being like hmm they liked me in punch drunk love so to win the Oscar, I have to do something really fucking sentimental, and like, it wasn't the it wasn't the solution. It turned out that the no. thing that was gonna get him close to getting an award recognition was actually gonna be the complete opposite. Working tone down, tone down the sentimental shit, yeah. and turn up the zaniness, and play like a psychotic gambling jeweler yeah. in a in a in a in a like hyperactive like uh thriller it was it was not yeah. this vibe it was the other side of his persona that he needed to lean into going down the list of characters okay jada pinkett smith plays uh the wife i hated the character horribly written um yeah the less said about that the better then we got Liv tyler as dr angela the therapist so Liv tyler is in one of our favorite tv shows the leftovers in a performance that is to oversimplify it very depressing um, she plays a woman really a, one of my like least favorite TV characters <laughs> yes I hate her she plays a woman in a She's cult who is probably the least sympathetic member of the cult I guess I can't remember what she does again what's her backstory I haven't really gone back to season one she has a backstory in season one they give okay. her an episode where they explain what happened to her I don't remember she has a difficult experience anyway she joins a cult full of women who are all walking and wearing them white chain smoking whatever mm-hmm. a lot of the women in the cult are sort of given little redemption arcs she's not really and her final appearance in the show involves her sexually assaulting a male character and then she gets oh, yeah. I then she i won't spoil it anyway she is not in the show after that so it's a really depressing arc it's not a very fun character to spend time with somehow i found her character in this film even less fun to spend time with it's so yeah. badly written. Terrible. Horrible. The uh, her the therapy scenes are the therapy terrible. scenes are so bad. The therapy session she has with Sandler is excruciating. Like this is this is like I guess kind of your flagship scene of like uh-huh. the good writing. This is where you put it in. Yeah, like, and it's just it's so nothing. Bad. He basically just starts to like objectify her and talk about her body. And she just kind of like leans into it. I thought it. that bit was fine. I thought that's okay. <laughs> okay. There's a bit of a curveball here. What was like, the bad bit? I can't even remember. The what else they talk about? Do you want to talk about your kids? No, I don't want to talk about my kids. Oh yeah, and that's kind of it for <laughs> like it. twenty minutes. And then he goes outside and he's like, "I had one daughter. She was nine. Oh yeah, another daughter. He, she he was eleven. He opens up to Cheadle yeah. then as soon as he leaves. But there's kind of oh, it's so bad. His big opening up scene kind of has nothing either. No. It's like a very shallow description of what kids would be. He's crying and talking about his daughter. And he's yeah, it's like, like, they wanted a kitchen. They wanted a new kitchen. She had a, she had a birthmark. 
Yeah, like daylight going to the park. Oh, it's so bad. You but never, like, absolutely nothing in he doesn't that. Doesn't seem like a good father. Nothing in that <laughs> big revelation scene about his yeah. him opening his family. All that information is already given to you earlier in the film. Absolutely. There's yeah, like yeah, a two-minute scene where he meets the accountant, and the accountant goes, oh, yeah, three kids and a dog. Yes. And yes, then yes, he starts yes. crying for 20 minutes, yes. like, I have three kids and a dog. Yeah, so we, sh- we should have been kept, that information should have been kept from us. I yeah. think so, yeah. Oh, my God. There's there's nothing they should to keep, it. Yes, it's crazy that the twist that his family died in 9-11 is revealed when he's not in the room. So Sandler doesn't even get the scene of revealing that information to the audience. Yeah. Because the fucking lawyer says it to Cheadle like 20 minutes in. And then we're like, oh, we know what his deal is. He yeah. won't tell us, but we know. So stupid. Yeah, you're taking oh. away your biggest kind of... Needle, like your big... Yeah. Dropping the fucking... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Saffron Burroughs plays uh, the woman who is sexually harassing, uh, stalking the dentist... Uh, Saffron Burroughs' performance or Saffron Burroughs' screen persona is something that I would just describe as uh, biting her lower lip perpetually in every shot I mean this it's really I can't figure out the tone of this it's kind of just like the director was kind of thirsting over her as he wrote the scenes I feel like it's a horrible depiction of a woman in the sense of like She's really just in every scene to, like, add a weird, gross sex appeal to the film, even though she's kind of... When I saw this happen first, I was like, oh, this is being played for comedy. But it's kind of not. Because when she leaves... I'm going to feel sorry There's, like, a gag at the start of the film where, oh, beautiful women are constantly coming to non-people. Yes, yes. Which doesn't play out in any meaningful sense at all. And sad. Yeah. And her character ends up befriending slash crushing on Sandler's character and she like goes over to Sandler's house at the end and Sandler is like I'm going to ignore her and play my video game and she goes like that's okay with me I'm going to sit here in the corner and that's meant to be like a nice moment for the film to end on it's really not and it seems like a really unhealthy relationship these two people aren't fixed these people are not fucking compatible but also she's been demonstrated to have a really unhealthy stalkerish relationship with men yeah so why are we meant to think that her relationship with this very damaged traumatized guy isn't a little bit exploitative especially considering he has a lot of money like she's clearly kind of creepy so why is she meant why are we meant to think her intentions these are two people that have absolutely devastatingly bad (laughs) attitudes around relationships absolutely yeah one man can't talk about his wife that died no the other one pretty much had a mental breakdown because her boyfriend cheated on him. Yeah, and started stalking her dentist. So if you put the two of these together, they don't cancel no, out. they don't cancel out. They just become double this bad. Yeah. Yeah. Donald Sutherland, uh, one of the greatest actors of his generation, shows up as a judge in two scenes. He... I didn't pay attention to the opening credits. Uh, so when he mm-hmm. popped up in the courtroom, I was like, what? This is a real Robert Duvall in Hustle level. Yeah. Why was this man necessary? You could have had anyone play this part. But it's nice to see him. His character is horribly written, but uh, he's, like, doing his, I'm going to do my Donald Sutherland thing. And he says, this man is clearly very damaged. You need to call off the dogs. (laughs) And that's kind of all he does, and that's it. Then we got the parents-in-law who are kind of torturing himself. And then we have the, the lawyer... Uh, Brian Sugarman. Do you know who plays Brian Sugarman? James Spader? No, the director of the film, Mike oh. Binder. Oh, James Spader's not in this. No. Does he look like him, though? He kind of does. Maybe a little bit. Oh, yeah. Jonathan Banks plays the other dentist. We love Jonathan Banks. Always great to see him. Oh, Phenomenal he? actor. He's not really in any other films on this podcast, so well done to him. Would this be better if Adam Sandler's character was Jonathan Banks? Or would that just be... Ooh, it would be better if it was Bob Odenkirk? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're going to cast a comedian in this, it would be better if it was Bob Odenkirk. 100%. Absolutely. Jonathan Banks, I don't know. Bob Odenkirk could do any role in this. Bob Odenkirk could do any role in this. He could play literally any part in this. What if it was Jonathan Banks as the dentist, Bob Odenkirk as Sandler? Yeah. It'd be better. It'd be better. It'd be a weird mismatch. Um, We got, and then finally we have uh, BJ Novak, as we mentioned. Uh, BJ Novak, an actor I have mixed feelings about. I feel like he's no range whatsoever, but also I'm usually kind of happy to see him. I feel like in this I wasn't that happy to see him. I was kind of annoyed. I was like, fuck off, BJ Novak. We don't want you here. I don't know. He's like a poor man, Zachary Quinto, but yet he's in more stuff. I don't know. He's, He's He's good on the newsroom. 
And I don't know, there's a lot of bits in this that kind of hit the beats of what you'd add in if you were making a comedy film. I know. The trailer. So we watched the trailer just before recording because yeah. I read on Wikipedia the trailer featured the song How to Say the How to Save a Life by the Phrase, and I decided that that was probably the ultimate song equivalent of this film. Yeah, we'll get to the music in the film in a sec. So I watched the trailer. Trailer kind of slaps pretty good. It hits all the. It shows all the jokes, and it puts the dramatic scenes of the film dialogue free with music playing good music playing over them yeah so it makes the film look pretty good because it takes out all the shitty dialogue it cuts it down to two minutes and it puts two good songs so Mm -hmm. i was like interesting that this film works as a trailer um just to get through the final member of the cast i wanted to mention they're sitting in the in the in the courtroom and there's a lawyer sitting beside sandler and i was like that guy looks like sam raimi and i looked it up it was ted raimi it was ted raimi the brother of sam raimi (laughs) who looks very similar to sam raimi so this film is named after a uh, song by The Who called Love Rain Over Me. And the song is a very depressing song, in my opinion. Um, it is Sandler's character's favorite song. The most depressing moment of the entire film is when Sandler in the courtroom is shown um, photos of his dead children. And he puts his headphones on and starts screaming, Love Rain Over Me! <laughs> and then the film ends with a Pearl Jam cover of Love Rain Over Me playing as Don Cheadle scoots his way around the city. Um, also significant in the film is the music of Bruce Springsteen because uh, Sandler's character listened to the river in college and Cheadle is trying to dig some stuff out of him by talking about Springsteen. I think it says a lot about this film that like mm-hmm. his favorite artist is Bruce Springsteen, the most like yes, generic, generic middle-aged favorite man artist. artist. I remember differently. So my recollection was that the Who song was a much more integral element of the plot. Yeah, because I got three quarters of the way through this and I was like, why didn't they call this after The River? The River? Yeah. Or one of those songs. Because the film's named after the Who song. The Who song plays over the end credits. And the Pearl Jam cover of the Who song was released with, like, the movie poster as its fucking artwork and all this shit. So I remembered the film being very integral about that song. And I remembered, like, them talking about the Who in the film. They never have a conversation about that song. No, they never talk about the Who at all. They talk about Springsteen. It almost feels as if they wanted to call the film after a Springsteen song and didn't get permission. So at the last minute, they were like... All right, let's throw the Who song. I mean, I know the Who song was obviously in the film before because he sings it in the courtroom. Yeah. But it feels as if the Who song being the name of the film was added in very last minute because the Springsteen stuff is way more discussed in the in the script. I don't know. It's weird. Um, yeah, Springsteen is such a generic artist to, like, bond with someone over that it really takes away from the impact. I feel like yeah. if they had bonded over the Who, I would have been way more into it. There's an episode, a great episode of Freaks and Geeks where every character is discovering the who through different mm-hmm. lenses. And there's a great use of love rain over me in that much better than in this film. But anyway, I think that, um, I think that the Springsteen shit's so generic and I love Springsteen, but yeah. like if you're going to do a film about people bonding over Springsteen, you have to do it like the movie, like blinded by the light, which is about like a Pakistani guy in England in the eighties who discovers born to run. And yeah, because that's like kind of a unique relationship. It's a to... unique relationship because it's through like an Islamic family in England. Yeah. This is a guy in New York with a stupid haircut listening to Springsteen. There are a million stories you could tell about guys yeah. like this. This is every middle-aged American man. Like it's so generic. Um, it's an interesting film I guess about how someone feels responsible for caring for a person that they used to be friends with that is fucked up and needs saving <laughs> but like I wonder does the film make it seem as if what Cheadle's doing is necessary the only option if he sort of has an obligation to help Sandler, and how does he benefit from reconnecting with this guy? In a way, it's kind of just like a way for him to get away from his wife. Right? Like, he goes to see Mel Brooks movies with him, so like... Like, he hangs out with him at the start because he's kind of fun. He's kind of fun. And they go to gigs and shit. They go to gigs and they go to comedy. They ride on scooters and stay out late. Ride on scooters. Yeah. Because this guy is in a state of arrested development where he rides a scooter and listens to music and doesn't go to work. Yeah. But like... What's it? What's another good film? Something on the edge of my mind. What's a good film I like about a person who meets another person who doesn't go to work or do anything and they just hang out with them all the time and it fucks up their life? I don't know. It's not, it's not really a while we're young set now. While we're young, maybe, but okay. It's more so of a, it's a kind of a, it's a romantic trope where like there'll be a woman who's very wild 
and she just does whatever she wants yeah. and the man just kind of starts hanging out with her yeah, there's a few like jack lemon movies like that i don't know anyway it's been yeah a i know what you're, i'm trying this to film think. yeah low like you could if you now interesting what if the don Cheadle character was a woman and this is a romance that blossoms out of this reconnection what if the saffron burrows character is the protagonist of the film and is the dentist and she reconnects with her friend from college or her ex or something i mean that makes it a bit weirder i mean his wife has died so like ultimately you don't really want the thrust of the film to be him falling into a romance but they try and push that for some reason they push it at the end but i don't know if you want to introduce that element and like within the first hour because like it is about a guy whose wife has died in 9 11 so i feel like setting him up with a with a female character in a romance early on no i think this is much better off not trying to not trying to do that set him uh, i don't know a romantic I don't know what partner resolution I, mean, I'm sorry, I, I don't think this film is fixable i think it's a horrible concept for a film. i think i don't think people i think every scene they set up to give away the punchline immediately yeah you don't get any kind of there's no tension at all there's no tension and there's no satisfying um sense of lethargy provided by it. yeah like there's it's a scene lethargy. where uh, what's the word i'm looking for uh Catharsis, catharsis provided because it never lets the build up get too far no you know releasing. what's coming immediately you know what's coming immediately like there's a scene where don Cheadle like they go into a record store yeah and he like has hired this psychiatrist to like pretend to be an old friend and they like slowly try and introduce them and get yes. Sandler to you know immediately that guy is just like a plant absolutely so when Sandler at the end is like Wait a minute, you're a... You're a fucking nerd, you're a plant. Yeah, there's like... Okay, yeah, we know. Oh, yeah. There's... I don't know. Ugh. Yeah, like, any... I don't know. Any points of tension they could create, they're just like... It's just badly made. It's just badly made. It's a bad film. Who did uh, make it? Mike Binder. Oh, sorry, Mike. Our boy, Mike Binder. So, oh, to give God. a bit of Mike Binder context, Mike Binder's like, I don't know, a weird guy who had a HBO show called The Mind of the Married Man... I don't know what this shit is. It was on in 2001. Nobody I heard of is in it. Um, it sounds fucking terrible. He wrote, directed it, and starred in it. Mm. Sounds shit. I don't know. Anyway, so he directed a couple of films. He made a Kevin Costner movie in the early 2000s. He made <laughs> This man has directed a film called The Sex Monster, starring himself. <laughs> he made a film called... Um, uh, Man About Town he made a movie called The Upside of Anger with Kevin Costner he made this and then he made something called Black or White with Kevin Costner and then he's directed episodes of Nashville Billions Ray Donovan and he made a Bill Burr comedy special for Netflix in 2019 he uh, must just have some sort of relationship with Sandler because of being a comedy guy I don't know anyway terrible filmmaker hope he never works again this mm. film fucking sucks and he wrote the script sole screenplay credit on this film um, I don't think there's a version of this film that's good. I do think there is an, a version of a film about a guy who's... So, so uh, Kenneth Lonergan's Manchester by the Sea is a film about a guy whose children die, and mm -hmm. he's responsible in that case. It's not a 9-11 type act of the higher heavens. It's a, it's a thing where the man is responsible. Negligence, his kids are dead, he's very depressed. He tries to kill himself immediately after the kids die, but he doesn't, so he we meet him 10, 15 years later in the movie, and he's really fucking depressed um that film is really good and really moving and the reason it's really moving is because it doesn't fucking use cliches to hammer in every sad moment it doesn't yeah. it has melodramatic scenes of him trying to kill himself or whatever but it doesn't have him blubbering in the therapist office and my children in the kitchen the way he does that is more is more complex and it's it's better it's baked into the, the film and i don't know the film like doesn't it's from his perspective. He's not seen as an object of pity. I feel like yeah. the problem with this is that Don Cheadle is like, oh, look at this fucking loser. Well, what's going on in his head? And then the film is like, hmm, what is going on in his head? And what's going on in his head is video games and Springsteen. Whereas in Manchester by the Sea, like we, we, we do kind of see things from his perspective, even though the twist of what happened to him doesn't actually come in until about two thirds of the way in, which is, mm. I think, better than what this does. I don't know. I think it's better than what this film does. I haven't seen it in years, though, so maybe I it's an intentional it. creative choice that we view yeah. Sandler from a an <laughs> from external that, point of maybe. view. Maybe. Uh, um, I. And how would you deal with it if that's all you saw on a person? It's interesting. So it took five years for them to start making nine eleven films, <laughs> and there was three big Sorry. ones out within a year. There was World Trade Center, United ninety three, and then this. 
Now, this is the this is this doesn't depict 9/11. This is about someone suffering with the consequence of 9/11. Mm-hmm. There's also 25th Hour, the Spike Lee movie, which doesn't I don't think doesn't acknowledge 9/11 directly, but it is a very 9/11 focused film, and it makes it it depicts a New York torn apart by 9/11, as do lots of things. I mean, um, as do lots of films in the mid 2000s that feel like they're made in a post 9/11 New York. But anyway. Uh, I think that like War of the Worlds is a is a big nine eleven film, Cloverfield and yeah. and Bourne and uh, and lots of other things. I think that World Trade Center and United ninety three are pretty were pretty good films to come out the gate dealing with nine eleven in the sense that they're not amazing, but like they and the United ninety three is pretty good. What what they're about is the her- her- heroism of firemen and and people on the. Flight 93, who stopped them from going to the Pentagon. And, like, those films are, like, very, like, they're not Peter Berg-level patriotic soulless. They're they're better, but they're, like, very, um, they're you know, of... the people we lost were heroes. Yeah, we should celebrate yeah. them. We should have them they're kind of celebratory in a valorous films. way. Yeah. They're very celebratory. They're not particularly interested in the motivations of 9-11 or in the grief that followed 9-11. They're more mm-hmm. so about the people who were heroes on the day. And honestly, like, that was the best way to come at it, I think. Those were the most effective films to make five years later. And then as time went on, you're able to make your 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 Zero Dark Thirty and your Looming Tower and your um, your weird sort of films about, like, the grief after a cataclysmic event, which is what The Leftovers is about and lots of other things I love. Yeah. But I, I think this film is not is not it. I don't think it's tasteless about 9-11. I just think it uses 9-11 in an unintelligent way. Um, like I don't, I don't find it offensive in any way, and how it includes nine eleven in the plot. I just, I just don't. I don't know if they said his kids it. died in a fire, this film wouldn't be any different. It wouldn't be any different because it, the only reference to the, there's no references to what nine eleven was other than the the mother in law going like these guys come to our country from overseas. Like so, you're like, oh, she's she's channeled her grief into a little bit of xenophobia, maybe. Like, yeah. But, and the money aspect. I don't know. Just... I don't know. The film does shoot New York in kind of an interesting way. Like, I like the scooter perspective of the city. I yeah. think it's kind of fun. You don't get to see it very often. They basically shoot lots of shots of people scooting through the streets. Scoot, scoot, scoot. During the day and at night. I like the scooter stuff. There's not a lot of films about guys with scooters. So, I'm pro-scooter. Yeah. Um, were scooters a big thing in 2007? I don't know. Yeah, that's the thing. I, they, they weren't. I yeah, imagine. they are. So, it's an interesting one. Really, really good quirk back yeah. in there. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, our segments, uh, class corner. Ugh, I don't know. These guys have money because they're dentists. Yep. Fair, fair play to them. Um, the Alex to Alex scale. Um, Ooh, we got a higher up one this time. I guess he's kind of like he's so fucked up. He's kind of at the high end. But of he it. has like four or five outbreaks where he destroys shit. Yes, he's so unhinged that I would argue that he should be at the extreme end of it. Yeah, we'll put him at the extreme end of it. He's he's a he's a he's the he's one of the only characters Sander plays in any film we've discussed. Probably the only one that is, like, certifiably mentally ill. There are scenes in this film that take place in a mental institution. Yes. Yeah. Uh, wife guys, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith. Uh, fair play to her for taking this role. It's thankless and horribly written. She's better than this. Um, it was a G.I. Jane joke. It was a G.I. Jane joke. Get your wife's name out of my, out of your fucking mouth. Um uh, yeah, Don Shadlin, this is the absolute kind of guy. Who absolute kind of guy. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, would the movie work with Ben Stiller? Nope. Really? Uh, nope. <laughs> no. Yeah, you can't have Ben Stiller playing a no. man with aggressive outbursts. No, you can't. It'd be Simple Jack. Like. It'd be Simple Jack. Um, he could be. He could do the Don He could do the Don Shadlin. Sure, he could do the Don Whatever, Shadlin. yeah. Box office time. Get that Ooh. box office loaded up. So, Love. this movie... Um... This movie, anyway, is clearly Oscar bait, but it was released in March. So I think they probably gave up on the idea it was going to win any Oscars. Because, like, you don't release a movie in March if you want to win Oscars. You release it in December. It, uh, I'd imagine the studio saw it and were like, this isn't very good. Yeah. Um, 65% Rotten Tomatoes. Not that means anything. Um, a critic that I, I know personally wrote a very long essay defending the film, which we read just before recording. And, frankly, I couldn't disagree with his point more so we i'm not even gonna bother quoting it um respect his opinion but he views the film as a romantic comedy which i don't uh, between sandler and saffron burroughs which is odd to me given that relationship is only introduced in the last few minutes um the game shadow the colossus is apparently a real game Mm -hmm. a japanese uh, game that was big in 2005 um 
And the video gaming blog Kotaku praised the film, saying it must be one of the first Hollywood films to deal with games thematically and intelligently. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Once again, seeing the film in a way that it doesn't deserve to be. The film cost $20 million and grossed $22.2 million, which is uh, more than it fucking deserved to make, given how shit it is. Wait, so it made $19 million domestic and $22 worldwide. So it made $2 million outside of the U.S. That doesn't surprise me. I did not know this film existed until I was walking past the old DVD rental store that used to exist in Skibbereen, uh, County Cork, where my family's from, and they had a poster in the window for the Rain Over Me uh, DVD, and I thought it was a weird name for a film because Rain is spelled Mm R-E-I-G-N, and it makes no sense as a title for a film. It only makes sense when you learn that it's named after the song. His grief is raining over him. I guess so. Rain Over Me stupid film i also think a weird thing about this film is that adam sandler is first billed when he is very clearly the second lead of the film yeah this is a um but i guess he's a bigger star than don Cheadle. so there you go we didn't really do Cheadle talk don Cheadle is a good actor don Cheadle is a good person don Cheadle, i I think has really good politics um don Cheadle's been married to his wife for 28 years holy shit how is he that old don Cheadle, 60 yeah 57 Wow. Don Cheadle's a really good actor. He had a big burst. So he's obviously, he did his all right, mate, in the Ocean's Eleven films uh, in the early 2000s. Don Cheadle famously took his name off the credits of Ocean's Eleven because they refused to give him first billing. Um, (laughs) So basically, Ocean's Eleven, they decided they were going to have, so they decided they were going to have the main six actors build alphabetically. So the poster of Ocean's Eleven reads Clooney, Damon, Garcia, Pitt, Roberts. And Cheadle went... But my name begins with the C, so I should be before Clooney. And they went, no, you will be below those six names because you're not as famous as them. And then he said, fuck you, take my name off the credits. And therefore, Don Cheadle is not billed in the credits of Ocean's Eleven, despite being one of the six or seven main characters. Did he do the same for the sequels? It's funny he came back. He must have been under contract for another one, was he? He is on the poster for the second one. Okay. Second one is billed in order of fame. The second one is Clooney, Pitt, Damon, Zeta Jones, Garcia, Cheadle, Bernie Mac, Julia Roberts. So he's in at number six? He's something like that. And then in Ocean's 13, it's uh, Clooney, Pitt, Damon, Garcia, Cheadle. So he's getting one, two, three, four, five. He's getting fifth. Ah, he should be happy with fifth. Uh... He is in those movies. He's in a bunch of weird dramas in the mid-2000s, like Hotel Rwanda, Assassination of Richard Nixon, Crash, like basically Oscar bait. Mm-hmm. This is kind of following up from his performances in stuff like Traffic, um, the Soderbergh movie, and the uh, John Singleton movie, um, Rosewood. Does he have an Oscar now? Boogie Nights. He, he has a couple, I think. Really? But I don't know how he's never won. I guess he's just never exceptional. He's always good, never exceptional. Uh, Don Cheadle has one Oscar nominee. Wait, does he have an Oscar? No, he doesn't. He has a nomination for for Hotel Rwanda. Okay. He lost to, to, to I don't know who he lost to that year. Uh, anyway, he, I do really like Don Cheadle. I'm always happy when he's in stuff. Yeah. So yeah, he's in a bunch of dramas in the mid-2000s. And then he shows up in... Um, the guard which is shot in galway mm-hmm. so weirdly don Cheadle was in galway a bunch and we never ran into him would have been nice to run into him when does that matter 2010 2011 yeah 2011 he's great in the guard really he's good. very good i don't love the guard as much as everyone else but he's good in the guard i think as far as kind of like irish comedies kitsch irish comedies it's like it's good it's good it's on the better end of he's it's it's things. a great idea to have don Cheadle and brennan gleason as a as a cop duo yeah that is a very funny idea i don't think that film would work with anyone any other like black american middle-aged actor i don't think it would work uh and then he's in flight where he plays denzel's like friend and he's really good in flight and then his career basically gets marvelified because he takes over as jamie as Rhodes in iron man 2 after uh, terrence howard drops out i think he's adds a lot to those films he's a lot better in that role than terrence howard but it does kind of dominate the next 10 years where the only movies he appears in between 2010 and 2022 are 
Iron Man 2, The Guard Flight, Iron Man 3, Avengers Age of Ultron, Avengers, Captain America Civil War, Avengers Infinity War, Captain Marvel, Avengers Endgame. Blah, blah, blah. Then he plays Algy Rhythm in Space Jam A New Legacy, which is a phenomenal performance where he plays the Warner Brothers corporate algorithm. And he's a guy who exists in oh, yeah, holograms and a big face on a screen. And he's like, basically, LeBron has to fight him. And he is really good in that, playing a computer. He also spends the 2010s starring on a TV show called uh, House of Lies, 58 episodes on Showtime, huh. which is about like, what is it? I've seen like one or two episodes about management consultants. You might like this show. Uh, he plays After a my rant yesterday yeah. about <laughs> he plays a manipulative, immoral, driven, and cold management consultant. Um, that was like a weird comedy with him and Kristen Bell and Ben Schwartz on Showtime. Uh, and then he is now on a TV show. He just sorry he does the, he narrates the Wonder Years reboot, and he's he's on a show called Don't Look Deeper. Feels like a man who just like runs a lot of like NGOs in his spare right. time. Right. And he, Marvel just funds it. He works he funds a couple it. of weeks he a year. He's definitely probably a charitable guy. He shows yeah. up to things wearing a t shirt that says trans teen save trans teen yeah, lives. He's or something. a cool guy. Like. He was there's a joke in community once where someone's freaking out and uh Abed's freaking out about something and Troy goes, Think about something safe like Don Cheadle. Um Oh, that's so accurate. And he is uh, in Noah Baumbach's White Noise this year uh-huh, as the third lead. It's Adam Driver, Greta Gerwig, and Don Cheadle. Delightful. And I'm honestly hoping the man gets his supporting actor nomination slash win yeah. um, because he is great and I feel like Baumbach will know how to use him and I feel like he'll add a lot to something kind of weird like White Noise and hopefully have fun chemistry with Adam Driver, who I don't think he's ever worked with before. Um. Anyway, that's my that's my that's my Cheadle. Get that box office going. Thank you for listening to the Cheadle cast. The Cheadle cast. I just realized at the last second before we stopped, I was like, you know what? Cheadle deserves ten minutes. He does. He's really good. He's yeah. not going to pop up again. He's not going to pop up again. I don't think so. I didn't see anything on there. Let me tell you, this is a weak box office. Oh boy. I'm not going to know a lot of these. This is a time of my life I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, this is a lot of You know what's fun though? This came out like 4 months before Chuck and Larry. <laughs> Those were his 2007s. This is by far the worst of the two. Oh, 100%. This yeah. is this is a two-star film bordering on a one-star film. Yeah. I would say the two the second star is earned largely by the music choices. <laughs> um yeah, this comes between Click and Chuck and Larry. Mm-hmm. God, a low point. All right. Can you name the f- top so, film so this is week? Is this open in eighth place? Yep. Yeah, okay. Can I name the top two? $7.46 million. I need a clue. Kind of comic book based, kind of kids TV show film. Is, is it animated? I might be. No. Is this TMNT? It's TMNT. That's the movie that doesn't exist. That is. That is animated. That is an animated film. It's not film. Guys in Suits. No, it's an animated film. Okay. I think. It's weird that I don't know. Remember they made a new one of these like four years ago? I'll tell you all about it. The Michael Bay one. Yeah, because they fucking, they're really good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, they're not. Did they make two. They made two and Will Arnett is the second lead of them and they're very funny. Oh, sick. No, so TMNT 2007 is an animated film okay. made by the Weinstein Company. Of course. 87 minutes long. And it stars a bunch of actors I've never heard. Chris Evans, Sarah Michelle Gellar, and Patrick Stewart. Sounds terrible. Continue. No, sorry. sorry. So they made, yes, they made these two. Michael Bay didn't direct them, but he produced them. They're TMNT done in the style of Transformers, where they're hypersexual. Yeah. Megan Fox is in them. They're full weird of color filters crass jokes, probably. weird color filters, probably racist. They're not good. They're not good. I've only seen the first one and maybe half the second one, but... The main human characters in them are Megan Fox as a news reporter and her trusty cameraman, played by Will Arnett. And Will Arnett, as a trusty cameraman sidekick in a Ninja Turtles movie, is kind of... You're kind of getting my ticket bought with that description. So, fellow podcaster, Will Arnett. Um, Anyway, I haven't seen TMNT. It's called TMNT. It's not called Teenage Mutant Turtles. It's called TMNT. A film that I recall being heavily promoted in The Beano and The Dandy. 
I'd imagine so. That was probably the, that probably was the in Match Magazine a lot of the in time. In Match Magazine. That was the market. Next up, speaking of <laughs> awful color filters. Oh. Hmm. Is this a this... film that makes the Middle East look like toilet? I think so. <laughs> uh, 2007. The Kingdom? No. Oh, I need a clue then. I mean, you're not. It's a, so it's a this war. Is, it's a war film. This is like it's set aggressively in... one color tone kind of. Oh. Is it set in Iraq? Or it's s- that area. That, that area. It's Middle Eastern. It's a Middle East film. Sorry. It's, is it a military thing? Yeah. Shooter. No. Oh, close. No, it's ancient. It's ancient. It's set in the past. Oh, it's ten thousand BC. Three hundred. What? Three hundred. Three hundred. Oh, what a disgusting film. God, fuck 300. I thought you had it when you said it makes the Middle East look like a toilet. Yeah, I was thinking of, like, Greek? Iraq War stuff. 300 is set in in Ethnotopia, fucking... Byzantium. It's set in a world of people who look Persia like... Or whatever. Yeah, Persia. 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 300 is so fucking bad. Oh, it's awful. Yeah, Spartans are Greek, I think. I don't know. Anyway. It's so bad. It's so ugly. Oh, it looks disgusting. It's so horribly macho. It's, it's full of all this weird ethnic stuff. Michael Fassbender's in it. This, is he? Michael Fassbender's in it. Just as one of the guys. Let me call out the cast of 300 to you. This might have a couple of surprises, fun Michael surprises. Fassbender's in it. This is the cast of 300. So we got Gerard Butler. Yeah. We got Lena Headey, who of course comes back for the wonderful sequel, 300 Rise of an Empire. We got David Wenham. We got Dominic West. We got Rodrigo Santoro, who comes back for the sequel. Michael Fassbender. That's it. That's everybody. That's everyone in 300. 300 makes $456 million on a $60 million budget, and Zack Snyder gets a blank check for the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. And you know what? None of his other films are as bad as 300. I don't hate Zack Snyder. Uh, I think most of his films are, like, fine. Is the second 300 better? He didn't make that. Did he not? I haven't seen it. It's it's borderline straight to DVD. Like, yeah. he didn't make it. I will say, the day that we went out to the GMIT to do the CanSat launch, oh, yeah, there was a giant billboard for 300 Rise of an Empire on the pitch that we were doing the CanSat yeah, launch. I think I remember that. And it had Eva Green and Rodrigo Santoro with, like, daggers to each other's throats. And I remember being like, what a funny billboard to have on the side of a road in Galway. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> continue. Next up is a film you listed already. Probably another... The Kingdom? No. Modern... Huh? Military. Oh, I listed it already. Yeah. What? When? One of my personal favorites. In the last two minutes. Yeah. I listed a modern military film last week. Shooter. Yeah. Shooter. You do love Shooter. Do I love Shooter? There was a viral tweet about Shooter today. Did I send it to you? The AMC one. Yeah. It no, was like, I saw it myself. It was like AMC is a great channel because you'll be watching one of the greatest TV shows of all time, or you're picking you pick on a different. No, night. it was you'll tune on to you'll tune in to watch the greatest TV show of all time yeah. and just catch the last ten minutes of shooter <laughs> yes. before it's on. Yes, yeah. I was like, yeah. Every time you and me and our friends are sitting in a room with a television that has cable channels, shooter will be on one of those channels. It's the Sam Fender of TV. It's the Sam Fender of television. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have no interest in shooter. Um, it's about covering up like genocide in Rwanda. You know who, and this this is a bit of counterproductive point because they're in Crash together. But you know who has a lot of Don Cheadle energy as an actor, Michael Pena. Yeah, he's kind Don of Don Cheadle should be in Tower Heist. Yeah, he should Weird be. Not. Casey Affleck's in Tower Heist. <laughs> they are all kind of versions of the same actor. Yeah, Tower Heist is just a great film for those kind of guys. Is Don Cheadle? And Michael Pena, the black and Latino versions of Casey Affleck. Casey Affleck's a bit weirder. He's, He's a bit, bit more sleazier, intense. Kind of, sleazier yeah. intense. No. Yeah. Don Cheadle and Michael Pena are very similar. I, Cra- so, yeah. I mean, Crash is an interesting... Oh, you know who the white version of them is? Brendan Fraser. A little bit? Mark Ruffalo? Mm, Mark Ruffalo. I don't know. I just feel like Crash has both of them in it and Brendan Fraser. And yeah. they're all kind of doing the same thing in Crash. The thing about Crash, very watchable... Yeah. Don Cheadle and Michael Pena are in it, and Brennan Fraser and Sandra Bullock and Matt Dillon. Now it is a film that uh, the th- oh, I forgot about. I forgot this happened recently. So the director of Crash got accused of rape recently. Paul Haggis, horrible person. He is a terrible person. He's accused of rape, and then people were pointing out how Crash has this horrible plotline where Matt Dillon like sexually assaults a character and then kind of gets forgiven for it. And I was like, Jesus, yeah, Crash is like pretty evil. Oh, Crash is really bad. 
Yeah. All right, enough about Crash. Moving on. Oh, now is a crash. <laughs> no. But here we have a Oh boy. We have a cast here. Okay, give me bottom to the top and I'll see how long. There's five is. boys at the top of this. Oh, cast I list. think I might I think I might have it. Is a wild is a wild hogs. It's wild hogs. Ah, uh, five boys. You got So wild going hogs. in reverse. Wait, wait, wait. Order. I know, okay. Ray Liotta. Yeah. Let me get the order. Okay. William H. Macy. You're going the backwards order. I'm going backwards. Yeah, yeah. you're Ray Liotta, William yeah. H. Macy, Martin Lawrence. Yep. Ooh, Ooh, I'm gonna go Tim Allen, John Travolta. Incorrect. No, John Travolta, Tim Allen, Tim yeah. Allen, top build. Yeah, fair play. It's yeah, it's it's between the Santa Claus two and Santa Claus three, and I've seen like 20 minutes of it. We've got our gal Marissa Tomei. Yeah, hell yeah, of course you do. Marissa Tomei couldn't say no to Wild Dogs. Wild Hogs. <laughs> it is the same director as Old Dogs, right? Walt Becker. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hundred yep. minutes long. He made a lot wa- can happen on the road to nowhere. Wild Hogs made an inconceivable amount of money. I think it probably made somewhere in the three hundred million range. Wild Hogs made two hundred and fifty-three million. Holy shit! Wild Hogs and three hundred. This would be good for Hollywood. Yeah, it would be. Wild Hogs and three hundred are so profitable. You know what's good for Hollywood? Um, or V Runaway Vacation. Yeah. Because you got your like Williams, Daniels, Tony Hale, Will Arnett, uh, the Cheryl Hines, a few others, I feel like. Uh, Stephen Toblowski also in Wild Hogs. Peter Fonda. Peter Fonda's in Wild Hogs. Of course he is, because it's a tribute to Easy Rider. I like the poster for Wild Hogs. Really? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, okay. I like how William H. Macy does not belong. From the guys, four guys from the suburbs hit the road, and the road hit back. A lot can happen on the road to nowhere. It has two taglines. That's an incredible font. Wild Hogs. Oh, it's a great font. That font is probably called like Wild Hogs. Fat Hog. <laughs> Fat Hog. Steel Hog. Oh, Wild Hogs is such a beautiful 2007 relic. Another. Those are the four guys you put. If you made Wild Hogs today, who'd be in Wild Hogs today? Would it not be the same four guys? No, it would be Kevin Hart. Okay. It would be Kevin Hart instead of Martin Lawrence. It would be. Would The Rock be doing Travolta things? No, The Rock would be doing Travolta things. Who'd be doing Travolta things? Chris Evans. I feel like there's a bit... These no. are old guys in this mm, life. They're like, six, they're like 50. They're 50. It would be four 50-year-old guys. Okay. So who, who's 50? Like, oh, man. Oh. Tucci or something. I don't know. No. Who's like Travolta level? Who's like 50? Like a 90s star. Wahlberg? Ugh. Too obvious. No, because he's he takes himself seriously. It has to be somebody who's like kind of winky winky. I don't know. Uh, this we'll come back worth, to it. This isn't we're talking. This about. isn't the place for it. We'll no. come up with this later. Walt Becker, a great filmmaker. Really? What a career! The man has. This is his career. Van Wilder, Buying the Cow, Wild Hogs, Old Dogs, Alvin the Chipmunks, The Road Trip, Clifford the Big Red Dog. Beautiful. Hot damn. Right. What's next? Something I have to look up. Oh boy, it's gonna be some fucking horror called like the Spooky Castle. <laughs> I could have. That joke could have been funnier. Okay. <laughs> no, that's good. The spooky castle? I, I Nah, I think I could have done that one better. Okay. Uh, Pil- p- the Pilgrimage. <laughs> this is a Robert Shea film. This is like a kid's... It's not Robert Schwenke, no. You um, have watched it. I have watched according it. According to Letterboxd. How many stars? No stars? Just a watch? Our boy, Rain Wilson. Rain... It's not The Rocker. No. I haven't seen The Rocker. This has a terrible name. Rain Wilson. Surely he's not the star of it. Second on... Rain Wilson is the second... Jolie Richardson. Rain Wilson. And I've seen this film. Rain and Lee Rin. That must be the kid. <laughs> no way have I Catherine seen this. Catherine Han. No way have I seen this film. It doesn't exist. Timothy Hutton. Timothy Hutton. Chris O'Neill. Um, or, my dad has a friend called Chris O'Neill. Uh, Timothy Hutton's in this. Okay, this is not... This is going to be a fun one to figure out. Okay, so this isn't animated. No. There's a kid in it. The yeah, it's two kids. Seem La- to be, it seems to be Last folk- Mimsy. Yeah, I don't think I've seen Last Mimsy. I think I lied. I don't think I've seen that. I think I pretended I've yeah, seen it. Watched by Lucien Wade. I don't think I've seen the Last Mimsy. Interesting. Is the girl in the Last Mimsy not somebody famous from a show? I don't know. I'll click on her name. See, she's somebody from else. like a Nickelodeon show or something. It's not this Rhiannon one. It must be. Maybe she doesn't have a photo. Up. She's last in Hulk, Last Mimsy, and Monster Mutt. Never mind. No, never mind. The Last Mimsy. Michael Clark Duncan. 
Uh, Rhiannon Lee Wren. What on earth is this? I film? feel like this podcast has been an hour and a half. No, it's just hitting an hour. Really? The last Mimsy came out, and someone told me it was good, but I never watched it. The poster is the same as the Sixth Sense poster for some yeah. reason. And the words the last are like way over on the right. And the word Mimsy is huge. You know what's you know what's a fucking terrible name for a film? The last Mimsy. The last Mimsy. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> Almost as bad as Rain Over Me. Uh, Alright, throw me one or two more. Uh, I'm enjoying the randomness of this box office. It's so unstructured. I think this one is actually a horror. It's a horror sequel. Is it called The Pilgrimage? No. The something has something. What? The eagle has landed. The something have something, sorry. The toilet have overflowed. Close. The something... The Hills of Eyes 2. Hills of Eyes 2. Scary, scary poster in the extra vision window that I would not look at. Oh, it's a remake of Wes Craven. Yeah. Hills of Eyes has a scary poster. I would avert my eyes. The original? Any of them. Two. Hills of Eyes 2. Ooh, they got a scary bald man. There's a scary bald guy. He looks like the man across the road from my office. He does. (laughs) The man who was bald. The the windows of eyes. The windows of eyes. All right, nothing the, to say about that. Next we got... Is this another horror? Sounds like it. Okay. Hill, Hill. The Jonah Hills have eyes. <laughs> oh, I'd love a piece of cake right now. I'd love a big slice of cake. <laughs> slice Do you have cake. any biscuits? No, I have nothing in the house. Fuck. Uh, next up... So is a Sandra Bullock horror film, I think. Oh, Premonition? Yeah. Yeah, boring. Next... That's such. That's a hard. Next kind. is our our boy ran over me. Ran over me, of course. Then number eight have... gets a ten. Loud traffic noise outside for our listeners who were stuck with us for Actually, an hour. Actually, there's two more, and I don't know either of them. Okay. First one is yeah. I think you might have seen this. Oh yeah. Oh, 2014. Nope. Have I seen it? This stars Terrence Howard, um, and Bernie Mac. Is this a uh, comedy? This In a- this uplifting film based on the true story, Coach Jim Ellis, Terrence Howard. I haven't seen this. Shocks the community no and idea. changes lives. Don't know what this is. Aided by a local janitor, Bernie Mac. This is some random. He sets out to form Philadelphia's first black swim team. Good grief. But I- the odds are against them. Bernie as Mac. As they battle rigid rules, <sighs> racism, and more. Bernie Mac. We've talked about him before. Mm-hmm. Well, when did we talk about Bernie Mac? One of the stiller episodes. I don't remember. Good grief did that man work. He made so many movies before he died. Like, mm-hmm. 2007, he dies, and he makes, like, 10 films that year. He was on Hollywood today. Really? Yep. Huh? Well, I, maybe, I was, maybe they'll get him through this. Yeah, Probably not. maybe. <laughs> but, uh... Okay, well, there you go. This is called Pride. Really? Yeah. Not to be confused with the good Pride. The 2014 Pride. About gay Pride. Yeah. The thing that the word Pride is associated with. Mm-hmm. Also, Lions. Father of the Pride. Yes. All right. And what's number 10? Let's wrap it up after this. Another horror. Oh, boring. Never mind. Dead silence. Boring. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Bad Go. week. Bad week. Truly, is your, this... your options were fucking awful at that point, and I would have just gone to see Wild Hogs multiple times. Yeah, I think that's like... Is that the best one in the 10? Is that the best film in that list? Do you like t- Shooter? I don't like Shooter. You don't like Shooter. Wild Hogs is better than Shooter. Uh, the last Mimsy. <laughs> Where do you rank Rain Over Me out of these 10 films? I haven't seen most of them, but I would go Wild Hogs. Okay, I put these 10 films in front of you right Shoot now. Say, what do you want to watch? I'd watch The Last Mimsy. Yeah. I kind of want to watch that now. Okay. I like then ch- Mimsy Hogs. A live action children's fantasy film will always be my first choice. Yeah. And then a film about a guy whose whole family dies in 9-11. Okay. And then the motorbike gang and then Mark Wahlberg killing terrorists. And then horror, 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 horror. Yeah, there's uh, Night of the Museum is straggling in there. Yeah. 21. It's good shit. Whatever. Bridget Herbithia. Good shit. Bridget Herbithia fucking slaps. Zodiac. Great is there. movie. A lot of shit here. A lot of shit. Zodiac. What? Zodiac's not there. Yeah, it is. Zodiac comes out in May. Really? Oh. Zodiac is here at okay. number 16 in here. its fourth week. Okay. So Zodiac came out much later in Ireland. It came out in May. Interesting. As did Bridget Herbithia. They both came out in May. These to be big gaps then. God only knows when Rain Over Me came out in Ireland. Probably like a year later. That was shown sent me here. That's funny. Rain Over Me? Yeah. It might not have been. I just remember the DVD getting released. But it's a fo- it's a Sony film. I assume it did. Yeah. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Don't watch Rain Over Me. It Don't sucks. Uh, tune in next week where we're going to do... We might do, a, we might do a, a fat old franchise next week. 
We might. Or get a guest on. So Maybe just, both. Maybe neither. Maybe both or neither. We gotta we gotta knock out the Zoolanders and the meet the Fockers. So one of those maybe. Talk about it the second we stop recording. All right, don't let your kids and wife get murdered in nine eleven. Don't do that. When nine eleven happens idea. again, do not let them um, go on that plane. Um, and if they do, send Mark Wahlberg with his laptop. He'll sort them out. Yeah. Uh, Adam and Ben Pod on all social media. You can add uh, us there and subscribe and leave reviews and do all those nice things. See you soon. Bye bye. Bye bye.